I would entitle this message, The Most Unpopular Commandment. Exodus four, uh, 20, verse 14, is very simple. God says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, today as we study your word, I pray that uh, uh, you'll bring to my mind what needs to be said, what needs to be brought out. I pray that we'd be focused right here with you, right here with your word. That, Father, we would not be concerned about what's happening in the world around us, what's going on outside this church house. But we'd be concerned with what's going on within our hearts and what your word is saying to us. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I think it's pretty clear for most folks. They know that uh, I believe the Bible is the word of God. And I think most of you folks do too, amen. But let me ask you something. Would you be willing to pay $90,000 for one Bible? You might if it was the Wicked Bible. Now, the Wicked Bible, the reason it's called the Wicked Bible, and the reason it's worth so much money, so valuable, is because the Wicked Bible has probably the greatest, uh, the queen mother of all misprints of any book in history. Way back in 1631, King Charles I commissioned a printer in England by the name of Robert Barker to print 1,000 Bibles. Well, this printer did that. He printed these Bibles. It was done almost flawlessly with one exception. There was one small misprint, which was actually an unbelievable misprint, and it was in the seventh commandment. They left out the little word not. So instead of saying, thou shalt not commit adultery, the wicked Bible says, thou shalt commit adultery. Well, the king was so outraged and enraged by that that he fined Robert Barker 300 pounds sterling, which back in that day was a lifetime's worth of income. Of course, it drove him out of business. The king demanded and uh, set a decree that all those Bibles were to be confiscated. They were to be destroyed. Well, all of them were destroyed, but just a handful. And several years ago, one of those Bibles sold in auction for almost $90,000. Now, folks, I want to say this. Even though that verse in the Wicked Bible, uh, it may be biblically and theologically incorrect, we're living in a day and age today where adultery, or can I go ahead and say sexual immorality, has become culturally correct. There's no question, I, I believe this with all my heart, no question that if you were to put the Ten Commandments to a vote in terms of popularity, this commandment would be the most unpopular of all. Because to this commandment, we have a culture today that's saying even to God Himself, what we do behind closed doors is our private life. It's nobody's business, not even your business, God. So whether it's a fornicator or a homosexual or an adulterer, the idea that sex should be limited to a man and a woman who are married to one another, for our society today, for many folks, that seems woefully out of date and absolutely intolerant. I mean, just turn the television set on. Do you realize that with the TV, you have a medium that refers to sex outside of marriage 15 times more often then it refers to intimacy between a husband and a wife. In other words, whenever sex or an allusion to sex is mentioned on television, about 90% of the times it's outside the context of marriage. 
Do you realize today in the real world that we're living in, over half of all adults, especially those under the age of 30, will live with someone before they get married to them. And 60% of those who are recently married acknowledge that they lived with their spouse before they got married. Now, let me share something with you right here. You may not know this, but do you realize three times in the Gospels, Jesus said this. He talks about our world as a sinful and adulterous generation. Now, let me ask you something. Why didn't Jesus refer to our world as a sinful and murderous generation or a sinful and lying generation? Why does he say a sinful and adulterous generation? I believe because Jesus knew that adultery and sexual sin would be a great problem with the human race. Now, folks, I grew up in a day of revolution, actually post-revolution. Some of y'all may remember the revolution I'm fixing to talk about. But it was post-revolution, and I'm not talking about the Revolutionary War. I realize I had a birthday yesterday. I'm not that old. I'm talking about the sexual revolution that took place in this country. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, folks. That sexual revolution, that word revolution, I believe is fitting because you know what a revolution is. A revolution is when someone revolts against authority that is over them. And that's what the sexual revolution was. It was a revolt both against God and against the seventh commandment, against God and against His Word. Now, unlike the American revolution, which freed us, the sexual revolution enslaved us. The sexual revolution has ruined more reputation, wrecked more homes, killed more marriages, destroyed more dreams, broken more hearts, destroyed more careers, given more grief and guilt, and brought about more unhappiness and cost more money than any other revolution in our history. Even though this commandment that we're looking at today, it deals with a whole lot more than just extramarital sex, I do believe one of the greatest ways to safeguard the purity of sex and to keep this commandment, folks, is to affair-proof marriage. Now, some of y'all look at me like you're kind of shocked. You home folks, you've heard me preach like this before. You've heard me be honest about things. If you visit and say, I don't think I've heard a preacher say, especially a Baptist preacher, say sex so many times behind the pulpit. Let me, let me just say something real quick before I carry on here. Do you understand that God designed that? Do you understand that God ordained it? And in the right context, it's beautiful. And it's supposed to be. Now let me tell you where it all went wrong. Satan is a pervert. He does not have any material of his own. So what he does is take something that God created, that God ordained, something beautiful, and he twists it, he perverts it into something wicked. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. When I talk about a fair proof in marriage, I want to give you several principles that will help guard you against breaking this seventh commandment. Because I assure you, friend, you break this commandment, it's going to break your heart too. First of all, number one, and I realize right from the bat, I'm fixing to say something that our society says, are you kidding me? I don't care. I'm being biblical, all right, not popular. And here it is. Number one, the first principle you want to keep from breaking this commandment, then be convicted that sex outside of marriage is wrong, period. It's wrong. This command condemns all sex outside of marriage. Whether it's premarital sex, which is fornication, or, or extramarital sex, the affair, or unmarital sex, which is homosexuality. And I know there's some here saying, well, hey, preacher, wait a minute now. Uh, you know, same-sex marriage is legal. Well, so is murdering babies in their mama's womb. But just because something's legal don't mean it's right. God still says it's sin. 
Now, in case, and I've said this many times, in case you doubt the Ten Commandments are primarily for the family, then think about this. Not only do we have a commandment which deals with a relationship between children and their parents, but we also have a commandment here that deals with a relationship between a husband and a wife. So we have a commandment, uh, number five, the fifth commandment, teaches children should honor their parents. And this, the seventh commandment, teaches that husbands and wives should honor their vows to one another and before God. And let me make it real clear, God does not mince words on this commandment. God doesn't say, well, try not to commit adultery. Or He doesn't say, you know, do your best not to. No, God makes it plain. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Let me give you a verse, Proverbs 30 and verse 20. And quite frankly, folks, we're living in a generation today that not only commits adultery, but refuses to admit adultery. Proverbs chapter uh, chapter 30, verse 20. It says, Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. Let me read it to you out of the New Living Translation. Equally amazing is how an adulterous woman can satisfy her sexual appetite, shrug her shoulders, and then say, what's wrong with that? You know, our society, we've even learned to play word games when it comes to this commandment. I mean, first off, we want to downplay adultery and, and you know, we call it a little fling or, or fooling around. Or I don't know what the popular words are for it today. And then we try to dignify adultery. People say, well, you know, just having an affair or, or a secret love. And then people try to, to uh, disguise adultery. They're going to meet secret rendezvous. They're going to meet in some secluded hotel. They're going to change their names on the register, and they're going to do it at night thinking they're fooling everybody and nobody knows. Listen to what Job says. Job, chapter 24, verse 15. The eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, No eye will see me, and he disguises his face. Let me be very clear about this. You can wash it up in the most expensive soap there is. You can dress it in the best suit or the prettiest dress. You can bathe it in the costliest cologne. You You can hide it in darkness. I'm going to tell you, God still sees it. God still knows about it. And God still calls it adultery. It's sin. There are several reasons why adultery is wrong. First of all, because it's a physical sin. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. He says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. So when you commit a sexual sin, you actually sin against your own body. You sin against your own soul. You sin against your own spirit and against your own heart. But adultery is also a marital sin. I think it's interesting the way the Bible describes a man who would leave his family for another woman. I want you to listen. Proverbs 27, 8. It says, like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. So I want you to think about this. A man who would leave his wife and family for another woman is no better off than a bird who would leave its baby chicks open prey to the wilds of nature. So what the Bible's saying, a man who would leave his wife and his kids for another woman, what he's doing is leaving his family open to the predators of this world. Adultery is also, first and foremost, a spiritual sin because it's a sin against God and it's breaking this commandment. There's a story in uh, Genesis chapter 39. Many of you know this story. The story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery and he ended up working for a a rich man, uh, one of the rulers in Egypt by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar had a wife that was a a strutting evil peacock and she wanted to commit adultery with Joseph. And so she tried all these advances and Joseph kept running. No, no, no. 
And in chapter 39, verse 9, Joseph says this. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? Adultery, sexual sin, number one, first and foremost, is a sin against God. I want to encourage you right now to develop this conviction in your heart. And don't be concerned about what other people may think. I'm not just talking to young people. Twenty years ago, I'd have been talking to young people. Today, I'm talking to everybody. Everybody needs to listen to me. You need to have a conviction in your heart. Be convicted of the fact there will be no sex before marriage, no sex without marriage, and sex only after marriage. Number one, be convicted sex outside of marriage is wrong. Now, here's the second principle that you need to follow to keep from breaking this commandment. Be committed to your spouse. Be committed to your spouse. The ultimate commitment on this planet is the commitment of the husband to the wife and wife to the husband. And do you realize God ordained this from the very beginning? Way back in Genesis 2.24, God said this. But then Jesus restated it in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 5. He says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one. Now, did you, did you notice the order of that? Jesus says, For this cause a man shall leave, and then he will cleave. Adultery takes place when you cleave before you leave. From the very beginning, God intended for marriage to be a permanent relationship. Because Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 19 and verse 6, So then there are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Let no man put asunder. Understand, it's very clear, it's very simple. God's plan for marriage is one man, one wife, one life. It's to be until death do you part. You have to go into marriage, folks, with that kind of mindset and that kind of commitment. Because let's be honest about it. Everybody has problems in marriage. There are no perfect marriages. There are no marriages without problems. And you're always going to have problems with something you don't totally understand. And listen real well, especially young guys. Listen to me. If a man tells you he totally understands women, you better watch out for that dude because he'll lie to you about other things. Marriage can also be dangerous. I heard about a guy who uh, one afternoon walked into the kitchen. His wife was in there crying her eyes out. He said, "Hun, what's the matter? And she was crying. And she said, well, she said, just fixed lunch. She said, I believe this is the worst meal that I've ever fixed. And her husband, trying to console her, said, oh, honey, no, this is far from the worst meal you ever fixed. <laughs> now, listen to me. Regardless of bad meals or bad habits, you have to be committed to the one you're married to. Amen. Be committed to them. Adam and Eve walking in the Garden of Eden. First day after they got to know each other, and Eve looked at Adam. She said, Adam, do you really love me? Adam thought for many, looked around. He said, Eve, as far as I'm concerned, you're the only girl in the world. Only girl in the world. Now listen to me. That ought to be our attitude toward our spouses. You're the only one in the world for me. Third principle. Need to be careful in guarding your mind. I told you earlier that sexual sin, whether it's adultery, fornication, homosexuality, it's both both a physical sin, a marital sin, a spiritual sin, but Jesus also said it's a mental sin. 
Jesus goes way beyond what we think this commandment entails. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, Jesus said, You heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Men understand something. Let's be honest about this, all right? There's nothing wrong with looking at a woman and appreciating her physical beauty. Women, there's nothing wrong with looking at a guy and appreciating the fact that he's handsome. But there's a difference between between a look and a lustful look. Now listen, adultery always, always begins in the mind before it winds up in the bedroom. And you need to understand the importance of guarding your mind. If you guard your mind, it will guard your heart and in turn guard your body, which in turn will protect the purity. It will protect your marriage, your home, your children, and your own conscience from the horrible consequences of sexual sin. Guard your mind. I have dealt with so many people over the years almost 30 years now, and heard so many stories of how adulterous affairs get started and how young people fall into premarital sexual sin. And I'm convinced, I heard somebody say this one time, I wrote it down years ago, I'm convinced there are four steps that take place. There's distraction, attraction, the interaction, and the transaction. It always takes place. Number one, here's the distraction. Maybe you begin to notice somebody at work, a, a man or a woman or somebody at school, or you're flipping channels on the TV and you notice a, a provocative sex scene. So there's the distraction, number one. That leads to the attraction. You begin to make little comments to this woman or to this man. You begin to watch something provocative on TV. You begin to linger on a website. That's going to lead to an interaction where you think it's harmless to go to lunch with this man or this woman. It's harmless let's just watch 15 minutes of this program. It's not doing any harm if I stay in this chat room for just a little while. It's just fun. And that interaction leads to the transaction where before you know it, friend, you either wound up in somebody else's bed or your mind's been caught in a spider web of pornography that you can't seem to get out of. That's the way it happens. You need to guard your mind. Now, I realize at this point, there's some folks sitting here, and you're saying, oh, preacher, that would never happen to me. That could never happen. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed, lest he fall. You know what Paul was saying? Be careful with that kind of attitude. You think it can't happen to you, it surely can. Wise men and women understand that preserving sexual purity means being careful about what you look at. Because your eyes, they're the window to the mind. The mind's the door to the soul. And the soul's the door to all kinds of sin. And I'm going to tell you, there's never been a time in our history that it's more important to be careful about what you see than today. Because sexual immorality is everywhere. Porn is the norm today. Pornography is everywhere that you look. And I'm going to tell you, the greatest danger of all is the Internet. It's the most powerful purveyor of pornography in the history of the world. And the reason it is, is because it's, it's so dangerous, it's anonymous, it's accessible, and it's affordable. You need to be careful what you put in your mind. I think Malachi said it best. The old prophet Malachi in chapter 2, 15, he says, Guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with your wife. So number one, let's recap. Be convicted sex outside of marriage is wrong. Number two, be committed to your spouse. Number three, be careful in guarding your mind. And then principle number four, be conscious of the consequences of sexual sin. Because let me be crystal clear. There's one thing, folks, that is just clear as cut glass. And that is you will not escape the judgment of God if you break this commandment in any way. You say, why would you say that? I'm repeating what God's Word says. 
Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. It says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. You know, we don't even realize, folks, the price tag that comes with breaking this seventh commandment. Chuck Swindoll, years ago, he wrote something. I think he said it the best. I want you to listen to it. He said, the following is an incomplete list of what you have in store after your immorality is found out. Your mate will experience the anguish of betrayal, shame, rejection, heartache, and loneliness. No amount of repentance will soften those blows. Your mate can never again say that you're a model of fidelity. Suspicion will rob him or her of your trust. Your escapades will introduce to your life and your mate's life the very real probability of a sexually transmitted disease. The total devastation your sinful actions will bring to your children is immeasurable. Their growth, innocence, trust, and healthy outlook on life will be severely and permanently damaged. The heartache you will cause your parents, your family, and your peers is indescribable. The embarrassment of facing other Christians who once appreciated you, respected you, and trusted you will be overwhelming. If you're engaged in the Lord's work, you will suffer the immediate loss of your job and the support of those with whom you work. The dark shadow will accompany you everywhere and forever. Forgiveness will not even erase that shadow from your mind. You will fall Uh, Your fall will give others license to do the same. The inner peace you enjoyed will be gone. You will never be able to erase the fall from your mind or from others' minds. This will remain indelibly etched on your life's record, regardless of your later return to your senses. The name of Jesus Christ, whom you once honored, will be tarnished, giving the enemies of faith further reason to sneer and to mock. Friend, I want to say something, and I want you to listen real close. Maybe your marriage is difficult right now. Maybe you're having a tough time. I don't know. Maybe your sex life is not what you think it should be. So you're starting to look around. I want you to remember this. No matter how high the cost of maintaining and restoring and repairing your marriage might be, the cost of adultery is always, always infinitely higher. Now I want to bring this home to where we live. Listen to me, those of you who maybe you have experienced, been involved in sexual sin or involved in that at this very moment, I have two things I want to say to you in closing. First of all, number one, the most important, you need to be converted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ needs to have total control over every aspect of your life. If you want to avoid the whirlpool of sexual lust and sin that can suck you down the drain and destroy your life, then step number one, you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you need to be surrendered to Him as Lord of your life. I don't care what your intentions may be. I don't care how strong you think your willpower may be or how determined you are to make it right and to keep it right. You, friend, don't have a chance against sin without Jesus Christ in your life. You cannot defeat it. The worst life without Jesus is a wicked life, and the best life without Jesus is a wasted life. I got some good news for you. No matter how entrapped you may think you are, and I want you to hear what I'm telling you. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Jesus Christ can deliver you from the trap of sexual sin. Paul was writing to church in Corinth one time. And the church in Corinth, evidently they had every type of sexual sinner known to man in that church. You ever get a chance to study 1st, 2nd Corinthians? 
Paul was writing to this church and all the problems that were going on in this church. And let me read it to you. Matter of fact, if you want to turn there, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me read a few verses to you. 1 Corinthians 6, let's start reading in verse 9. First Corinthians 6, verse 9, Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul's pretty brutal and upfront with that. And the Bible makes it very plain, friend. You can live all of your life as a sexual sinner or you can go to heaven, but you can't do both. Just in case some of you, and, and maybe some of you, you talk to somebody about this and they're going to use this excuse, well, I was born this way. Or they use the old line, well, I'm caught in a trap. I just can't seem to get out of it. Look what Paul says in verse 11. He says, such were some of you. At one time, church, he said, some of you were just like this. But notice, such were some of you, but oh, I love this, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Paul said, such were some of you, church. But Jesus saved you. He forgave you. He restored you. There's no sin as powerful as sexual sin. But there's no sin so powerful, folks, even sexual sin, that you cannot be delivered from it through Jesus Christ. I want you to see the final thing, and that is be cleansed from your past mistakes. Now, maybe you're here, you've already committed adultery. Maybe you're in a, an adulterous relationship right now. Maybe you're single, and you either, you know, committed fornication, or you're caught up in a web of fornication, or homosexuality, or, or lesbianism. And I, w- I want you to listen carefully. If you have been unfaithful to your wife, or unfaithful to God, you've engaged in extramarital, or, or premarital, or non-marital sex, I want you to hear this very clear. It is not an unpardonable sin. It's not an unforgivable sin. Now, sin it is. Always has been, always will be. Friend, adultery is sin. Always has been, always will be. Premarital sex is sin. Always has been, always will be. Homosexuality is sin. It always has been, always will be. Pornography is sin. Always has been, always will be. But forgiveness and cleansing is available through the Lord Jesus Christ to all those who ask. Always has been, always will be. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, Jesus, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to close with a true story. John chapter 8. Many of you know the story. There was a lady who was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. And she was brought by the crowd before Jesus. And the crowd, they were ready to stone her. Because the law said an adulterous woman had to be stoned. So they come to Jesus. And I can imagine him throwing her at his feet. And they said, Jesus, she's caught in adultery. And Jesus looked at this woman. And Jesus, being who he is, knew her heart. And knew there was repentance. Knew there was forgiveness in her heart. Jesus took care of the crowd first. You remember what he said in John chapter 8? 
He said, "Uh uh-huh, well, you without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says that one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they began to walk away. Can you just get the picture? Can you hear the, the redemptive thud of those stones hitting the ground? When Jesus said, well, you who without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. You who are perfect. They just dropped the stones and turned and began to walk away. And then again, Jesus, knowing this lady's heart. I can just get this picture of the compassionate Son of God. When the people, the last one walks off, Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? She looks around and she says, there's none, Lord. And I can see Jesus with that compassionate look on his face, taking her by the hand, lifting her up. And he says, and neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Here's my prayer for everybody here today. We would do likewise. Lay our hearts before Jesus. And if you do that, I promise you'll hear him say, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus said, come to me, you ask forgiveness, it'll be forgiven. And I won't condemn you. May we all do likewise. Would you bow your heads, please? When I say amen, we'll stand. Brother Jim will lead us in an invitation to him. The altars will be open. If you need to come and pray, or you need to come and give your life to Christ, maybe you just need to come and surrender your all once again to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, this is the time to make that decision. I don't know what God's calling you to do or how God's dealing with you and your heart and your life. But I want to encourage you to answer the call that Christ has placed on your life. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that no matter what we've done in life, if we will but humble ourselves before you, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be saved, we can be forgiven. Father, I praise you for your grace. I pray for those who need to experience that this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You stand, please.